Welcome to HBCU 468, brought to you by ESPN's The Undefeated. This weekly podcast looks at life inside and outside of sports from the unique perspective of the Roden Fellows, handpicked students from six historically black colleges and universities. They're young, they're smart, and they are living one of the most unique experiences in American higher education. I'm Bill Roden, and here are this week's Roden Fellows. I'm Donovan Dooley from North Carolina A&T in Greensboro, North Carolina. I'm Simone Benson from Morgan State University in Baltimore. And I'm Isaiah Smalls, and I attend Morehouse College in Atlanta, Georgia. Well, you know, gang, we are uh, recording this program the Friday before the first round of the playoffs begin. And, uh, you know, but, but by the time you hear this, maybe we'll know who's heading into the first round, uh, into the second round of the playoffs. I'm just curious, you know, we, you know, um, we for the occasion we brought in uh, a really special guest, uh, senior undefeated uh, writer, uh, Mark Spears, who covers the NBA uh, for the undefeated, and has been at this covers it like a blanket, by the way, and has been doing this for a long, long time. But Mark has uh, taken a few minutes out of his busy schedule on the uh, on the NBA trail. Uh, to join us on the uh, HBCU podcast. Mark Spears, welcome to the show. Mark Spears, University of District of Columbia, HBCU. <laughs> but then I transferred and graduated from San Jose State, so I, I did go to HBCU for a year. Oh, you did? I, I didn't know that. I, I, I thought you started at San Jose State. No, I actually went to chasing the college basketball dream. I went to uh, Foothill College uh, in the Bay Area for two years. Then I was actually supposed to go to the Tuskegee Institute, had committed there, and then the coach got fired. And by then, a couple of other scholarships I had gone, had gone by the wayside. So I went to uh, District of Columbia instead and uh, played there for a year. Um, wasn't enlightened by the academics there, even though I was starting, gave up a full scholarship. Came back home from San Jose State, blew out my knee, graduated, moved on with my life. Oh my goodness! That's so you're you're a real player. No, no, I had a, you know, I I dunked on Hampton a few times. I, I did my thing against uh, <laughs> North Carolina Central. I, I I was okay. Wow, interesting. So you came from? So you were born in California? No, I was actually born in St. Louis. Um, uh-huh. My mom graduated from an all-black nursing school in St. Louis called Homer G. Phillips. She met my dad in St. Louis, and then she got a job at um, Stanford Hospital and moved out to the Bay Area, and then that's how we, that's how we got to the Bay Area. But my mom's from New Orleans. I'm from everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> right. Hey, so listen, I know that, uh, um, you know, we, we, we've we been following the NBA, and I, and I know that, uh, uh, you know, Donovan and Simone and uh, – um, Isaiah are really eager to to ask you about the playoffs. Uh, I guess what's the hottest thing going right now in the NBA? What's sort of the hottest topic right now in the NBA, Mark? Well, uh, the funny thing is, it's there's just so much talk about the MVP award. Um, I've gotten hit up by coaches, players, this, that, and other, and I'm like, I just got one vote. I don't know why y'all so worried about me, but. Contingent of people saying Russell Westbrook deserves it or James Harden deserves it. I haven't really heard any argument for anybody else, but um, it, it's about as tough of a decision for MVP as I've ever had. Um, you know, Westbrook has had an amazing record year, uh, and I'm sure Mr. Roden, you could 
probably put this in a more uh, perspective in, in, as far as surpassing Oscar Robertson's triple-double numbers. Um, <laughs> you know, so I, it's been amazing what he's done, taking over a team without Kevin Durant, without Serge Ibaka. But you got a contention of people say, well, the team won less than 50 games where, you know, Houston Rockets won more than 50 games. And James Harden dang near averaged a j- triple-double as well. So it's like a hard debate. It's tough to figure out who to pick. And I, I believe that Westbrook is probably the more popular choice. Um, if you really, really want to push winning, then you could put Kawhi Leonard, Isaiah Thomas, Steph Curry, LeBron James, and uh, Kevin Durant, if he didn't have his injury woes, into the conversation as well. If Kevin Durant didn't get hurt, perhaps he would have won it. But um, the funny thing is, you know, the NBA, a lot of people don't know the NBA has its new award show that's going to come out June 26th in New York City where they're going to announce all the awards. So there's much mm. ado about an award that isn't going to be announced for another two and a half months. That's, that's, that's amazing. That's amazing. Mark, I have a question I want to ask you. Um, based on your expertise in the NBA, what do you value most? Do you value James Harden um, and the Houston Rockets winning over just the Sure, incredible stats that Russell Westbrook had. What what did what influenced your vote? I'm not saying you have to say who you voted for, but who what influenced your vote the most? Um, it's I'm still trying to figure that out. <laughs> um, it's um, like I said, it was difficult because I do think winning's important, but winning also had what you got to account for on winning is your roster. You know, you could put yeah, right. you could put Kevin Durant right now on uh, on the Lakers, and they they're not going to make the playoffs. You know what I mean? Uh, even as great as he is, perhaps they they fight to get on. Um, I I got to watch the Thunder's team close up and saw the supporting cast. There's no other All Star on the Thunder, and perhaps there's no other All Star on on the Rockets either. Uh, so. It's really hard to gauge winning like, well, somebody won more games than the other when they had different rosters. So I do think losing Serge Ibaka and and losing Kevin Durant is major. And I didn't think that the Thunder would make the playoffs at all. I thought they might be the HC. That being said, that... uh, them being seventh pretty much the whole season was to me impressive. And then on the flip side, you know, I would have never guessed that Houston would have been this good where they were like a, basically a strong three seed all year. I do think their roster is a little bit better than the Thunders. Um, you know, Eric Gordon could get sixth man. Ryan Anderson's a great three point shooter adding Lou Williams. Basically you added another six man of the year player. Now they did lose Dwight Howard, which, I believe is a bigger loss and people would give credit to. Um, I mean, so that's why the winning thing is, is really hard for me to gauge because it's not like they're cooking with the same recipes. Yeah. To me, uh, that Thunder roster was built around Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook. The Rockets team, on the other hand, is built around just James Harden. So they are, they have the shooters so that are um, able to hit the shots, and just the just that Thunder Rock roster, I personally think that it's 
terrible. Without Russell Westbrook, they're picking in the lottery. They're that bad. I think they're picking. I think they're picking before the the Nets as well too. That's just my opinion. <clears throat> let, let me let me ask you something, Mark. Uh, and 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 Simone, I like to uh, hear from uh, you, you as well and uh, everybody. But my, you know, I I've always got this issue of giving most valuable player awards uh, on team in team sports um, because you know without you know no matter how good Russell Westbrook is or or uh, or um, the beard is uh, James Harden or any of these guys. I mean, you need a team. You can't just do this stuff by by yourself. What do you, what do you think about this idea of? I mean, what, in your mind, you've been voting for a long time. You've been voting for MVPs, and you've been doing this for a long time. I mean, what should an MVP uh, award be? What do you think? Uh, yeah, what do you think the MVP award should be in a team sport? Yeah, and, and it's interesting you mentioned that. I, um, you know, recently had a, a Q and A with Stephen Curry, who you know obviously won the last two MVP awards, and Steph was saying like that's the the thing that's tough about MVP is there's really no defined criteria for what it means. It's like me deciding, you know, who's beautiful and who's not beautiful. Well, who I think is, you know, what kind of woman I think is beautiful might be different to another man, you know, but that doesn't mean they're both not beautiful. It's just (laughs) beauty is in the eye of the beholder, which, you know, going back to this, this thing, uh, this award, it's, it's, it's hard to like, everybody has their own criteria as to what's beautiful or what that award means. And that's why this has been as confusing or tough as, as I've had it. And perhaps the thing to think about, I think with Westbrook is like, I watched his team close up and that supporting cast is weak. It, it, it like some people say that, and I certainly understand this argument that um, you know that his rebounds are, are wind aided, <laughs> like that <laughs> his teammates are helping him get rebounds. Um, but he's always been a pretty good rebounder. The one thing that also impresses me about Westbrook is he plays so hard every night. Like at the All Star game, while everybody was dogging it, he's the first guy down the floor. Um, there's a reason why he was scoring a lot of points is because he was actually playing hard. Right. And his biggest challenge, I think, in this triple-double was getting those 10 assists with a lackluster roster. Um, uh, but James Harden, too, I mean, he's taking the ball from, from his coach and uh, run with D'Antoni's offense. And D'Antoni was brilliant to have made a tailor-made offense that, uh, was was so smart with a guy like James Harden. It, it kind of takes him back to the Drew League, how he played there with the ball in his hands, successful. And he, you know, you got the ball in his hands, he could shoot threes. He got guy, he got his amazing shooters, the shooters that he has in Houston with, you know, Ryan Anderson, Lou Williams, Eric Gordon. I mean, you got some flat out three. I mean, all three of those guys have been in the dunk. I mean, in a three point contest before. Maybe not Lou, but. Those guys can flat out shoot it, so he has the means to get a lot of great, easy assists, alley oops to some of his guys as well. And uh, I, I just think that um, you know, D'Antoni, I voted for him for Coach of the Year. That he was just really, really smart in the correct way to use James. So maybe some people might be think he's coach aided. 
in in having the numbers that he has or you know so in essence man it's i i wish i could cut the trophy in half and give each of them a piece of it because i i really think they're both deserving i i do have a question um mark do you think when you say you went to uh the q a with stephen curry um do you think that you know the MV, the MVP awards does does cause some sort of divide within the teams. For instance, with him winning, um, you know, the last the last two years, do you think that the that certain team members fit? I would say, let me say it simple: feel a certain type of way of um, you know him being more in the in the spotlight, not so much the team as a whole. No, 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 uh, not the Warriors. I, I think there's jealousy. As you know, Mike Mark. I mean, um, I'm sorry. Marcus Thompson wrote in his book Golden. There's some jealousies outside the team, but I think within the team, the Warriors understand that if one of us does great, then everybody gets to eat. The buffet gets bigger. People, when you win, people pay more attention to your team. Look at all the the commercials that Draymond Green has. He hasn't won any MVPs. He hasn't been Defensive Player of the Year yet, but with the Warriors winning, there's comes um, you know some opportunities for him. Now, would you say the same for uh, LeBron James and uh, Cleveland? Yeah, yeah. I mean, as far as are are, do you, are his teammates jealous of him? Yeah. Well, no, yeah. Would you, you know? Do you think that it would? Be, it's some type of. I mean, LeBron is such a major personality, such a superstar that if there were any teammates that were like that, they they look really bad and. It'd be like embarrassing. It's like it's like me trying to say something about what Bill Roden wrote. Bill Roden got stripes and championships and is one of the greatest riders of any race in the history of the world. So when I read him, I'm learning, I'm becoming better, I'm uh you know, I'm in awe. So that's like the same way as somebody walking in LeBron and trying to be jealous. I could just stop now and retire. <laughs> Oh man, thank you so much, Mark. That 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 was that was great. Yeah. I have a quick question, uh, Mark. Um, do you do you actually believe that uh, Westbrook's rebounding numbers are inflated? Because I was reading an article uh, yesterday that said, I think it was Stephen Adams said that they prefer for him to get the rebound just because it's they it removes the outlet pass, and they, they can just start the offense like that. It, it, I do think it's um, a little interesting that you've had. Like, you see guys move out of the way, bigs move out of the way so he can get the rebound. But I've also thought, always thought he was a fierce rebounder, though. He's one of the few guards. Like, if you go look at his rebounding numbers from before, it, it, it's, it's not like they were inflated, that they weren't good. I mean, he's always been a gritty, great rebounder, it's surprisingly good rebounder for a guard. Um I I I mean he's only six three and two hundred pounds. Um but you know Russ averaged eight rebounds a year last year or seven year before and you how much did Ibaka average? Like <laughs> how much did K D average? So with those two guys gone, I think it gave him the ability to average, you know, two or three more rebounds a game. Because you don't have two seven footers basically taking them away from you, but I mean he he doesn't mind getting up there with the trees and trying to get them. Did these guys? Did his teammates perhaps help him a little bit? Nah, I think so. 
I think so, but you know, I, I also thought he fought like when when I saw him play in Phoenix recently, and he had seven rebounds in the first half. Like I really, really watched, and I was like, or no, the Denver game. Um, I'm mean, he had like seven rebounds really fast, and I'm like, ah, that's his doing. That's not his teammates doing. That's his doing. So. I've seen the videos, and it's easy to find stuff through the course of 82 games and make somebody say, hmm. But all in all, I think he, he worked for the rebounds that he got. Uh, our guest is Mark Spears, the great Mark Spears, a senior NBA writer for The Undefeated. Um you know, you know, I know there's a lot of stuff we want to ask you, Mark. You you wrote a, a fascinating piece about Michael Porter Jr., who's the nation's top-ranked high school player on the ESPN 100. And you, I mean, it was really outstanding. It was very candid. Um, he talked about a lot of stuff. He talked about everything from uh, race and standing up to light scan and 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 all that. How did that? That was I know I know that uh, Donovan Simone and Isaiah. Um, read that were very fascinated by that. Uh, how, how did that piece um, uh, come about? And were you surprised by anything that he said? <laughs> um, I was a little surprised about how open he was talking about race, um, especially at his age. He's like 17 years old, so you certainly got to be real careful about some of the things that you say. But very bright kid. Um, just kind of understands his potential power, understands that he has a possible platform as a multi-race kid. His dad's black, his mom's white from totally opposite places, Mississippi and Iowa. Um, in fact, he said his dad, when he was back in Mississippi with his mom, you know, wouldn't be comfortable holding her hand in public because just, you know, people the way Mississippi is. Um, so I just, uh, I, I think he was really, really open and honest and, and more forthcoming than expected talking about that. He also had a little bite to him about being light skinned and people seeing him thinking that he's soft and he's privileged. And um, he says he likes to make a point to when he's on the court, if somebody talks to him a certain way or treats him a certain way, because He's fair skinned to to basically destroy them. This kid is is somebody definitely that you need to remember. Um, I watched him in Portland. A lot of his practices. He's a superstar in the making. Once he gets his jumper down, he's uh, he's going to be scary. He sees the plays before they happen. He's super skilled. He's quick. I, I think he's going to be one of the next superstars in the NBA. In fact, if he was in this year's draft, even as good as this draft is, I think he'd go number one. Wow, really? Wow. Oh, wow. So you wow. think he's better than Alonzo, or better than De'Aaron Fox, better than Malik Monk, better than Markel Fultz? You think he's better than those people right now? Yes. Better than Markel Fultz? Wow. wow. I mean, but you got to remember that's a, that's he's a, that's a great like statement. seven feet tall playing small forward. Very true. You very, know, very so true. Uh, you could find another guard. There's going to be another great point guard, you know, 
six three talented, six five talented point guards come around a lot more often than uh, a seven foot small forward who could do everything. So that's why I think he would get he would probably get picked before because he just he's a rare talent, kind of like you know Ben Simmons. Even though Ben Simmons didn't play, just that it's not something you see every day. But I think the way uh, basketball is going, these kids are so much more skilled now that you're going to see, like, Mr. Rhodes, I'd like to hear your thoughts on this. Like, to me, Magic was ahead of his time, probably 30 years ahead of his time. Like, Magic Johnson today would be a very intriguing player. I, I still think that what Magic was, especially at his time, is extremely underrated and not talked about enough. But a six nine, yeah, two hundred and sixty pound yeah. point guard, um, <laughs> you know, not not that this kid's going to be a point guard, but he is crazy skilled at, at his at his height. Yeah. Let me ask you this, um, and and yeah, no, I mean Magic, I, I think he was so far ahead of his time that he was out of view that people didn't fully comprehend what he was doing, and that you know that six nine point guard, it was just you know. If you were six nine, maybe you'd be a you know center or forward. But you know, but let me ask you this: you you mentioned something. I don't know what the panel thinks, and because you know, you guys go to HBCUs and you see a whole range of colors. How much of the whole colorism have you seen? Remember when Kobe said something? Remember he got into trouble? He said somebody act like they were. He didn't act like he was light skinned or something like that. I remember. I don't know if you remember. There was a controversy, and he made this statement, but. Is there much? Is that is that sort of a a thing going around in the NBA or even about you know this whole idea if you if you're if you're light or fair skin you know you're not tough is, is that um, was was he breaking uh, new ground on that or is that something that you've heard that's been around? You know, it's, it's funny. Like I mentioned, that I played at the University of DC, and when I went there. Um, you know, I got some of that too. Uh, you know, me being a lighter skinned guy, my my mom's Creole, my dad's light skinned, and I, I'm full blooded black. But you know, being a lighter skinned guy with green eyes, and I actually got my my eyes from my grandfather, who was dark skinned from Mississippi. Wow. Um, but you know, so you could you know, the handsome man, dark skinned man with green eyes. Woo. You know, but when I went to UDC. Like, even my coach, Coach Ed Epps, God rest his soul, he used to give me a hard time when he got there. Oh, you West Coast. Because I had a combination of being from the West Coast and light skin. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Coming in D.C. And, you know, the, the thing about us West Coast fo- folk, we talk, we say, you know, we don't talk about it. We be about it. You know, we feel like people from New York and D.C. do a lot of talking and maybe don't back it up. So I came there. They started talking all that trash when I was actually a tough guy player out my way and ended up being viewed as probably the toughest guy on the team by the time we got a month into the season. Um, like that didn't, that didn't go over, go around real well, but yeah, that's when, you know, the kid was talking to me about it. It kind of brought me back to, you know, stuff I really hadn't, didn't have to deal with until I actually went to a historically black school. Huh? Well, that's interesting. So, uh, Donovan, what did you um, 
You're a huge basketball uh, fan, you know Donovan Dooley from A and T. Let's get back to what Mark was saying uh, about uh, Porter talking about, uh, you know, taking a stand. Do, do do you expect? And you're what nineteen, I think twenty. Do you expect players uh, to take a stand on social issues, whether you agree with the stands or not? Do you do you do you think your generation, and particularly what you hear around A and T, is that an expe- an expectation of that that players take stands? Well, definitely. Um, when you look at some of the top some of the top players um, in professional sports these days, I wouldn't say is that it's necessarily an expectation or an obligation, um, but it's definitely um, approved of by my generation if you take stands on social issues. You know, obviously we revere LeBron James, Carmelo Anthony, Chris Paul, Dwayne Wade for what they did at the ESPYs this past summer for coming out and taking a stand while um, about police brutality and about unifying the nation. Um, obviously we, we look at that and we think of them, we look up to them as role models in that way. But as far as like an expectation, an obligation, I don't, I don't really have the expectation of athletes to do that. Um, I don't think it's their obligation to stand up for societal issues. I would love for them to, especially if they're informed about it, especially if they know what they're talking about. I think that's great for them to do. I think that's um, it's noble of them to do. But as far as an expectation and obligation, uh, I think me and my peers um, don't really have that um, toward professional athletes. But as far as them wanting to take a stand, I think that's definitely admirable, and I think they definitely should do that if they feel that in their hearts. Mm-hmm. Hey, Mark, I know you got to run. Uh, before we let you go, um, just just give us uh, your idea of how, uh, how, how do you think the playoffs are going to go. Uh, who do you think is going to represent the West? Who do you think is going to represent the East? Uh, do you think there are going to be some surprises? Well, in the, in the Western Conference right now, I feel like Golden State Warriors are just head and shoulders above everybody in the league, um, not just the Western Conference. I mean, they were playing great basketball the second half of the season, you know, really – found their stride, I guess, after Durant got hurt. And you know, I think they won 16 in a row, and they're just dominating everybody. When I got really sold on the Warriors is when they went to Houston and San Antonio for a road back-to-back and won at both places, and this was without Durant. So that spoke volumes to me. Now Durant is coming back into the fold. Seems like he has a better idea of how he and Curry can coexist and how to play within the framework of their offense. I think that they're going to be really, really dominant. Um, the only team I could see really giving them a battle is um, San Antonio. Um, so that that's something to p- perhaps keep an eye on in Western Conference Finals. But I like the Warriors' chances. In the East, you know, obviously uh, you expect LeBron and Kyrie and Kevin Love to shake everybody up on that team, figure it out, and get there. If there was a team that I think could beat them, it's Toronto. Um, Toronto Raptors definitely have, you know, two superstars, uh, superstar backcourt to keep an eye on. Um, You know, with DeMar DeRozan and Lowry. But, you know, there's a couple unsung guys on their roster that I believe, you know, will will certainly uh, cause more dividends down the road. Remember, they got Serge Ibaka, uh, who was basically, to me, the missing piece. And then a guy that, you know, nobody really talks about, but remember this down the line, is P.J. Tucker. 
He is a six foot six, two hundred and forty five brawny small forward. Tough guy. Is not scared of LeBron James. Would relish the challenge of meeting LeBron James. And um I I think if there is one team I'll keep an eye on Washington too, but if there is one team Yeah, I was gonna say Wizards. Yeah, I was go- I was definitely gonna say Washington. I was about well. to say the Wizards, yeah. Yeah, I was when you talk about too. John Wall and Bradley Beal, John Wall's a you dog. Have- Yes. Yeah, yeah but every time I try to get excited <laughs> about the Wizards, they they do something to disappoint me. So I think of anybody in the East, the one team, and 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 they've been to these finals before. I, if there was is one team, I'd have to bet it, bet on, and other than Cleveland, it'd be Toronto. So do you not give Boston a shot at all? No, no. I mean, Boston, they're just missing something to me, and. The fact that Cleveland just went in there when it when it was a big game and beat them by like beat them like a drum thirty yeah yeah that that, that didn't sit well you know so I feel like we got to watch out for uh, Boston next year especially if they get that number one pick no they add another then, yeah they need another piece yeah. to add yeah, yeah. they add one yeah. more piece for Isaiah yeah. Thomas I think they're gonna be in business well I, then, I, I think Boston should have tried to move that pick to get Paul George or maybe even a Carmelo Anthony or somebody like yeah, I agree definitely I agree. instead of waiting for I definitely a, saw once a young one kid scenario to, where. Uh, I definitely saw one scenario where they trade where uh, they should have traded away, traded the pick away for Blake Griffin, which is uh, definitely filling that four uh, hole that they have because Amir know. Johnson is know. not that guy. I don't know. Amir about Johnson Griffin. is not. I don't that think guy. Blake Griffin. I think Blake Griffin would have been a good fit there either, though. I think Blake Griffin's more of a ball stopper, and I think Blake Isaiah Griffin Thomas over really over Amir Johnson though. You 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 wouldn't have prefer Blake Griffin no, saying, over Amir Johnson? Saying, this is what I'm saying. This is what I'm saying. I'm saying if you're going to make it, you're going to trade that pick somewhere and try to trade it for Paul George instead of Blake Griffin. I'm not saying you over here. Okay. Obviously, Amir Johnson's not in the same level as Blake okay. Griffin. But what I'm saying is. Oh, okay. Okay. But what I'm yeah. saying Okay. Is, okay. That's fine. That's George, fine. Not Blake Griffin. That's fine. That's fine. Yeah. Well, listen, we. Hey, guys. So we, we have. I know Mark has got to run, and this is only April. We've got. This is going to be going on. Almost to like August, <laughs> the playoffs. Uh, so, hey, hey uh, our guest has been the great Mark Spears, a senior writer for uh, The Undefeated. Uh, Mark, you've been writing phenomenal, phenomenal stuff. You've been doing it wherever you've been. It was in Denver, California. Mean, you've been doing it for a long time, and I'm so happy that you're now doing it for uh, The Undefeated. So, thanks for, uh, you know, sharing your. We could add you for another hour, man. You just know so much stuff, but thank you so much for being oh, a guest. And, and Mr. Roden, thank you for everything you've you. done. Um, you've been a godsend to me. You've been a godsend to journalism and a lot of black journalists. Like, look at look up to you and 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 stream admiration. So thank you for everything you've done in the past. Everything you're doing now. What you're doing with these young kids, man. You're. Um, you're you're basically my uh, favorite journalist in the world, so thank you for everything. Hey man, thank you so much. You, you know, you know, Mark, they're gonna call, they're gonna cut all that off. No, no, well, I hope they <laughs> they're don't. gonna cut that out the telecast. <laughs> no, man. Hey, Mark, thank you so much, man, for that and just all you do and uh, you know how, how you've embraced the role as well. Uh, you know, you've embraced this role of of helping young people, and um, you did it without being asked. So that's you know. That that's great. So we will catch up with you. Have a great time uh, on the road, and uh, we will see you soon. Thank right, you so now. much. Take man. care. And now our final segment. Each of our panelists will leave you with a few things to consider. Donovan Dooley goes first. Why is no one talking about Brad Stevens? 
The Boston Celtics' third-year coach is one of the most brilliant basketball minds in all the sport, yet he continues to be the most underrated. Stevens has coached the Boston Celtics to the number one seed in the Eastern Conference playoffs over LeBron James and the defending NBA champion Cleveland Cavaliers. Stevens has a roster composed of Isaiah Thomas, a 5'9 point guard who was once a role player in Phoenix and Sacramento after being the last pick in the 2011 NBA draft, along with a bunch of role players. Far from the super teams of today's NBA, Stevens has the Celtics in prime position to take down the Cavaliers and advance to the NBA Finals. Now, will it happen? That's yet to be seen. But it wouldn't be the first time Stevens orchestrated a major upset. <clears throat> Butler University, 2011 and 2010, Final Four. Name another coach that has done more with less. I'll wait. Stevens will be the best coach, one of the best coaches of all time, and it's time to recognize it. Thanks, Donovan. Simone goes next. This month of April is Sexual Assault Awareness Month. Every day, hundreds of Americans are affected by sexual abuse. This is just as prevalent on college campuses around the country. According to the RAIN organization, 11.2% of all students experience rape or sexual assault through physical force or violence. Among undergrad students, 23.1% of females and 5.4% of males experience rape or sexual assault. Sexual violence is more prevalent at colleges compared to other crimes. Here are a couple tips to stay safe on your campus. One, stay alert. Be aware of your surroundings. Two, make a plan. If you're going to a party, go with people you trust. And three, make use of on-campus resources. Your school has a host of services for students, including security escorts, health services, and sexual assault services. Be aware and stay safe. Thank you, Simone. Isaiah Smalls goes next. Since when does a scoring title, averaging a triple-double, and shattering half-century records not warrant the MVP trophy? Despite Russell Westbrook's extraordinary season, some analysts argue his poor shooting percentages, high turnover numbers, and sub-50 win total will prevent him from winning the MVP. First, the unspoken rules that MVPs aren't on sub-50 win teams contradicts the sheer purpose of the award. Penalizing Westbrook for his team's lack of elite talent is like being benched for not following for not following instructions you weren't given. You can only work with what you got. People also point to his poor effective shooting percentage. However, Westbrook's is 3% better than Allen Iverson's during his MVP season. Even with the higher usage percentage, Westbrook still outpaced Iverson in points, assists, and player efficiency rating. Finally, Westbrook's turnover numbers aren't worse than Harden's, who had the league high and most in NBA history. What Westbrook's done with this roster is remarkable. Even Babe Ruth led the MLB in strikeouts his 60 run his 60 home run season. Let's not act like the Thunder aren't a lottery team without Westbrook. With him, however, they're 12 wins away from the NBA Finals. The league must reward his historic performance. Thank you, Isaiah. And thanks for listening to HBCU 468, the Roden Fellows Podcast. This show is produced by Aaron Mathewson. Tony Chow and Jorge Estrada are in the control room. Special thanks to David Cummings. Get all of the HBCU 468 podcast as well as All Day, What Are Those, and Morning Roast by subscribing to The Undefeated on the Listen tab of the ESPN app. Join us next week for another HBCU podcast, and don't forget to make The Undefeated your go-to site for a soulful look at sports and entertainment. Have a great week, everyone.